0: Welcome to Mile Marker 118. I'm Gumby. I'm Teresa. And it is a gorgeous early February day. The just morning is full of the promise of spring. About a week ago, I started hearing my first chorus frogs, which uh, might be my absolute favorite nature sound, but is definitely one of my favorite nature sounds, partly for the reason of when I hear them. There are kind of winter frog song around here. And uh, man, right when winter is the longest and the coldest and I just feel the most used up, um, that's when I start hearing those chorus frogs and it's like a reminder of, uh, you know, hope is on the way, the dawn is about to break, spring is coming.
1: Where's around here? Huh? Where's around here?
0: Around here, you know, down (laughs) in the bottom.
1: Oh, in the bottom.
0: Rock bottom in North Carolina, Piedmont (laughs) North Carolina, outside of Durham. And uh, when I start hearing those chorus frogs, it's around the same time of year that I start seeing daffodils bloom, and uh, those two signs together just uh, raise my spirits, renew me, get me ready for another year, another trip around the sun. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how are you doing, Teresa? What do you want to? Uh, what do you want to talk about?
1: Wow. Well, I would also like to uh, to add that it is a beautiful day, and we had a beautiful day also last sunday that was the day that we went on our epic walk around the peninsula and our peninsula is like a finger of within the lake that we uh, that we stay nearby so we just decided like it was going to be a sunny mild day not as mild as this morning but just something to do would be to walk in the woods and boy we had such a magical time
0: yeah, I'm sitting here right now, and, uh, you know, it's so mild that I got my shirt off and getting that, that sunlight, that vitamin D, and intimidating Teresa with all my toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. just just rippling out and washboard muscles. It is toxic. Whew. It and intoxicating. Toxic. <laughs> but last Sunday, yeah, Teresa had the idea. You know, I mean, as our listeners know, it's been a trying time for us. We're... Uh, you know, struggling with a lot with my mom passing last week.
1: Oh, yeah, so, that that we did not um, finalize that.
0: Well, one thing at a time. Yeah. We're going to get so many stories piled up, we're going to forget what we were talking about, which yeah. always happens. But, uh, you know... So Sunday was pretty soon after that. Teresa said she wanted to go on a walk, and uh, I wasn't sure I was going to join her. But then I was like, "Oh, what the hell? You know, walk's usually a good idea." And it was such a beautiful day, so we smoked some weed, loaded up some simple things like some snacks, some water, um, and took off. And man, it was it was about a three mile walk, like just on these paths that are kind of rough cut paths for, I guess hunters cut them in around fields, through the woods. And it was just so glorious. I mean, it was so renewing. It, it It reminded me who I am, what it means to be a human being. And it just really uh, began to refill a tank that was um definitely in the in the black,
1: dangerously low,
0: empty, <laughs>
1: yeah. we even found one of the things that we found on the walk was this really pretty sunny spot that was just it felt like it was a a world unto itself it felt so relaxing and we laid down on the soft grasses and and just soaked in the sun right there in that nice uh cozy little place and I don't remember if you wrote it down but uh there was something about that place like you just can't describe it And you...
0: are you talking about the little peninsula with all the beaver chews
1: well, it was that spot in the sun that I was taught. Oh,
0: about. that spot. Yeah. Where we found two cow skulls and cow skeletons. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And there are little piles of junk that, uh, you know, depending on your mood, you're going through the woods and you see these piles of really old junk, like from the forties. <laughs> and, uh, you know, depending on your, your outlook, it's either something like, Oh God, I hate seeing all this junk or oh. wow, this is interesting. <laughs> Look at this history, you know, let's, sort through it. And we happen to be in the mood to sort through it. And so that actually uh, increased our enjoyment on the walk. We find a lot of interesting stuff. But yeah, Teresa's describing the sunny spot that was one of those good, delicious spots you find sometimes where it's flooded with sun, soft, dead grass, and you just can lay there and the temperature is perfect. I mean, not a degree too hot or too cold. And just to lay there and let it all go and just to soak up all that deliciousness, that naturalness, that wildness, and that sunlight. And, um yeah, I found so many little trees. Like, I, I got some litter to collect pine sap in, and there were che- trees that were chewed from a beaver, which we found a beaver skull. I don't know if they were chewed by the beaver now dead, but uh, collected a whole bunch of pine sap. I mean, it was more pine sap than I'd ever seen in one place.
1: Huge chunks of
0: it. Big-ass chunks and uh. We just like kept finding litter and I finally like had a bag of bones and pine sap, bones to bring (laughs) back to work on bone tools and uh, pine sap and it just reminded me how abundant things are. How many, you know, things are out there that offer themselves, that are interesting, that are helpful um, if we just have the eyes to look for them and the knowledge of how to use them and the pine sap I'm really excited to have stored up so at some point in the future I can get the kids um, making glue, so yeah, great. Um, do you want to share any thoughts or, uh, like insights that were happening? I mean, aside from just the physical walk, was there anything that like moved you on a less physical level?
1: Well, I, again, I forget if you had it written down on your list. It don't
0: matter what I got written on my list. What you got in your head, girl? Well,
1: I was just thinking about that sunny spot and how we were talking that day about if somebody paid to like go on this walk or like to to be transported to a a nice place to be on a winter day I don't think that they would get the same enjoyment out of it that we did on that day we just happened upon it you know it didn't cost us anything we were wandering around and just enjoying the day anyway but there was just something that it's like I'm trying to describe it and it's indescribable and there's just no way to um, to place such a value on it except just being there and like soaking it all in.
0: And indescribable is exactly the word as we were laying there and kind of feeling this deep connection. I mean, it was unmistakable. It wasn't just like, oh, it's a pretty day. It was like, wow, something has moved inside of us. Something is like plugged in. And uh, how there's no real word that can capture that. And we were we were thinking about, like, you know, if you tried to monetize it, like you're saying, Teresa, and you had to pay for it, you couldn't get it. It would escape you then. Because yeah. part of the thing is that it feels like we belong. And if you have to pay to the be there, you've robbed yourself of the belonging. Yeah. Because you pay to be places you don't belong. That's why you're paying to be there. And just uh, whether we're trespassing or not, the freedom of, like, in that moment— we belong there. That was our home. It was ours, just like it was the squirrels and the plants, like it belonged to all of us. And uh, I remember when we were walking, feeling the uh, the mystery, the magic of how everything bounces off of everything else. We were seeing trees shaped by the vines that had grown with them and then died and left the trees in these corkscrew shapes. <laughs> And uh, like I said, trees that I was gathering pine pitch from, from a beaver that may or may not now be dead. But um, these trees were now um, shaped off the beaver. The beaver's bouncing off the trees. The trees are bouncing off the beaver. The vines are bouncing off the trees. Just all this life colliding and bouncing off of um, everything else. And how... Good it felt to be out there and to be one of those things, bouncing off of all these things. As I was gathering the pine sap, I was bouncing off the trees. And um, as I walked, you know, my footsteps, um, all these plants were bouncing off of my feet, leaving like I was changing little tiny ecosystems. Um, you described- and it just felt right. It felt right to be one of those balls out there, those ping pong balls, just <laughs> bouncing around, you know, that's where I, I felt right.
1: You said it was kind of like a dance too. Kind of like if everybody, I don't know, I don't know if I would necessarily say it was a mosh pit, but like a nice mosh pit, like just kind of happily kind of bumping and, and jostling into each other.
0: Some days I'd describe nature as feeling like I'm in a mosh pit, but it didn't feel like a mosh pit <laughs> last Sunday and i uh sometimes i see people debate whether nature is kind of a uh i guess primarily based on competition like you know what's considered the darwinian view but it's really not when you read darwin he doesn't just talk about competition he also talks about cooperation so the debate is is it more cooperation more competition and um i believe it's both that's the dance you know think about when you're dancing with somebody you pull apart join hands and then you come back together and step close and You know, it's sort of like the the bouncing. That's why I use the word bouncing. It is a dance. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the beauty of it. It's this balance between competition, cooperation, and just how we shape each other. Every single thing shapes everything else. Yeah. And it is extraordinary to feel yourself a part of that.
1: Yeah, we were talking this morning also about that connection and how, uh, Gumby, you were saying like you felt like it was a that might be it. Like the disconnect from nature might be what so many people are missing that aren't satisfied with this culture.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, actually reading a book right now called um, Don't Sleep, There Are Snakes, written by Daniel L. Everett. And, um, you know, that's, I love reading books that are kind of from an anthropological perspective, because they always get my mind spinning, you know, just kind of overcome with like the difference in our cultures between, you know, our taker culture and civilization and lever indigenous cultures. So he's, um, this guy that was a missionary and he went to live among the Pitahan, um, tribe along the Amazon. And yeah, some of the things he, he, he talked about, like you were just talking about the, how'd you word that?
1: Well, I was saying that the people of our culture that feel like they're not satisfied, that there's something that they don't like about this culture, it might be that they're disconnected from nature.
0: Yeah, I was thinking how extraordinary it is that we live in a culture that so many of us don't like our own culture. Because I'm reading about these other cultures, and sometimes you'll read about things like we tend to romanticize the indigenous people, but when you really dig into anthropological... um, Records, you will run into things like murder, rape, um, not a lot, not like our culture, I don't think, but uh, discomforts, um, sometimes early deaths. This guy said that these people lived like if you were in your 60s, you were an exceptionally old person in this tribe. So he said people died younger than we tend to do. Um, Lots of death, you know, a lot of things that you would think would be reasons for discontent that someone would like not want to live in a culture that has these things. And yet we find over and over that these tribes, no matter how they live, no matter if like the way they live actually horrifies us and makes us think, oh, these people are horrible. I would hate to live here. They don't. And he describes these people as just laughing all the time, always happy, always joking. Um, that was one of the remarkable things to him. And the contrast kind of made me think, how weird is it that all these cultures, no matter how they live, whether they're cannibals or whether they're, you know, in the Arctic where it's like just freezing cold and they're living off of nothing but fish and ice huts, um, we tend to see happy people, happy people. Even if you're right next to a tribe you're at war with and, you know, they could raid you at any time and they're they're going to rape your women and kidnap them and kill your men and torture them. Still, under those conditions, these people seem to be content and happy being themselves. What is it about us uniquely that we're not happy being ourselves? And uh, yeah, we had some thoughts on that. Do you want to share any thoughts you've got on that?
1: Well, I was thinking about when we've gone on our backpacking or hitchhiking adventures, or even our houseless retreats, which by the way, we have information on our website, if you're not familiar with those episodes. Um, And how... When we have less stuff and we're basically just using our feet, as Gumby said this morning, just using our feet to move around. It's amazing at how you can laugh. At things that other people might look at and say, like, oh my God, do you need help? Like you don't have a place. You don't have a place to stay tonight. You don't know like where you're going to stop or or what you're going to do. It's like, yeah, we're just going to like walk until we're tired and like throw a tarp over a string and go to sleep.
0: Yeah, I wonder if one of the main reasons that we are discontent uniquely, you know, we tend to, I think, think about things like violence, but then we see violence in other cultures. And, you know, when we try to pick apart, why why would we be so discontent? All these protests and movements and revolutions and, you know, just unhappy people that are on drugs to uh, um, numb them to their own bad feelings, their own anxieties. Um, What is it? And I wonder if, you know, I know this is not a big momentous thought, but I wonder if that one thing boils down once again to just lack of nature. I wonder if it can be that simple that if you're among a group of people who live outside, most of the time, you know, only seek as much shelter as needed when they need it. I don't know. Could that be the common theme? Could that be the thing that separates us from every other tribe that seems to really be so connected to the land? That underneath all these other things of, you know, like technology, politics, et cetera, et cetera, if maybe one of the deeper things that fuels these other feelings is that disconnect from nature, we're not ourselves. The thing that I felt last Sunday when we walked returned to me.
1: Yeah. And the other part of that is when you're disconnected from nature, from your habitat, you also don't know how to do the things that you need to do to stay alive. Whereas when you're out in nature, in your habitat, you figure out the ways to have shelter, to protect yourself, to have fire and to have water and and food all taken care of. So you don't have that insecurity. You feel secure in the basics. And we you might feel that way, you f- might think you feel that way in this culture, but you wait until the shelves on the grocery store are empty, if they're not already, or when your water's cut off because the electricity is, the power's out.
0: I'm not sure anybody actually feels secure in this culture, or maybe even, maybe they, a lot of people just don't look at that a lot. Um, because it is painful. There's so much out of our control just every day, every little nuance, so many things that could break that you don't know how to fix it, that uh, you might not be able to afford. And uh, yeah, when he's talking about these people laughing, he says like they build really simple shelters, like no walls or anything. (laughs) And sometimes a storm comes and blows their shelter down. And the people that live in that shelter will be the first ones to laugh the hardest. He said they laugh about everything, even things that seem like misfortunes. And he believes the reason why they laugh is because they feel up for anything that happens to them. They're ready for it. Their shelter blows down. They know exactly how to build a new shelter. They've got a little bit of extra work ahead of them. Okay, that's nothing to get ruin your day about. And um, I just thought how extraordinary that is. And he says that these people live completely in the present. And it used to baffle him when he first started living among them. He lived among them for 30 years. And by the end of his time there, he wasn't trying to uh, convert them to Christianity. He had actually given up Christianity. <laughs> Um, they had changed him. They converted him and I haven't gotten to the end of the book yet, but I'm looking forward to that part. But, um, he says like they picked up a little bit of agriculture and some things from trade by people on the river. They're not completely, uh, uncontacted, but they never take care of their stuff. For instance, if a boat, they have a canoe that they've traded for and it begins to rot and doesn't work well anymore. They don't want to learn how to make another boat. They just want to trade get another boat. And when they get tools to work on a garden, which is something newly introduced to them, they leave the tools out. They don't take care of their tools. One of their kids might come and throw one of the tools in the river and they don't know how to replace it. You would think that that would be something you would keep very precious, a tool that you can't replace. In our culture, that's common sense. And at first, when you see somebody not acting like that, you'd wonder if they're crazy or stupid or what's going on. But he's describing how they just don't think about tomorrow. They have such confidence in their abilities and that they will be provided for that it doesn't come into their worldview to take care of something like that, to hoard something. Um, he talks about how they make baskets. They'll weave together a little basket. They've got materials to make a basket that could last a long time. They don't want a basket that lasts a long time. They make a basket that lasts a few days and they get rid of it. And next time they need a basket, they sit right down right there and weave another basket.
1: Wow, that's crazy.
0: That's just the way they want to live. And some days they just don't go out hunting. They sit around, and uh, this guy, Daniel, he's asking, like, well, aren't you guys hungry? And they're like, yeah, but this makes us hard, you know? And that, that's what they mean by like getting tough. And uh, we just choose to go hungry today. Tomorrow we'll go out fishing. And uh, the title of the book is really informative, too, because they, instead of good night, they'll say, you know, don't sleep. There are snakes. And the way they live. They don't sleep all night. They take naps of anywhere from 15 minutes to a couple of hours. And at night, if they just get up and they're in the mood to go fishing, they go fishing at 3 a.m. in the morning, 1 a.m. in the morning, 1 p.m. It doesn't matter. Um, It doesn't matter whether it's night or dark. They just go out and do what they want to do. And he said it was kind of hard to sleep in the village because there'd be lively discussions all night. They recognized (laughs) that nighttime was a time that predators come hunting and it's not wise to sleep deeply at night. It's not something that makes them afraid or uh, keeps them from laughing and enjoying life. It's just the way it is. It's it's dumb to sleep at night. That's not how we do things. And I don't know. I just love reading stuff like that because it really stretches my mind. I realize how little I know because I'm challenged in so many ways. And of course
1: they're in the, they're in the Amazon jungle. So it probably doesn't get too terribly cold at night there, I'm guessing. Whereas here, even in North Carolina, like our nights, especially as the days were growing shorter, like they could start at five o'clock in the evening. So we're kind of like looking to go to sleep or something. It's just, it's, and I know we've talked about also like coming at things from a, taker culture perspective. Like you can't, you can't really understand it because you're going to try to rationalize it and like intellectualize things. But it's so great to see like how they've adapted to their habitat specifically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I get made aware of when I Read some of these books on anthropology is that my mind is not equipped to comprehend. It'll get my mind spinning and and give me some things to think about, but I can't truly comprehend their culture. Um, you know, like their culture, it's easy to romanticize it. I fall into this trap all the time. You know, like oh, rape is is unique in our culture and the patriarchy and all this stuff that we like to talk about. But um, this anthropologist's wife. Um, while they were there, she said she witnessed a young girl getting gang raped by almost every man in the village. This happens, and uh, I imagine she used the word rape, meaning you know, non-consensual. This this young girl didn't want it. This is not what happens every day. And yet, these people still laugh, smile. They're not free of bad things, of vices. Now that in itself challenges me. What the hell does that mean to me? It's like a math equation, these vices, people having to experience from their own tribe. I mean, wouldn't you think that breaks the trust? Don't we like to romanticize tribe as like nobody ever harms you in a tribe, it's your tribe. Yeah. And yet, that doesn't seem to be the entire truth. And yet, they still seem to pr- to really relish life. It's just it's it's challenging from one end to the other. And um God, I had something to say. I get, I always get so many thoughts piled up today. If uh, you got another thought while I try to recall this one.
1: I wonder if it's also the, uh, the sense of self might be different in the tribe and specifically in that Pitahan tribe that you're talking about versus our culture where like so many things have to be individualized that we obsess about it to a point where we're not happy. Like, we're so obsessed with the things that are going wrong in our lives that we can't hardly enjoy anything.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really key, that living for today bit. You know, Mm -hmm. like, Teresa and I were kind of reflecting on how this applies to our life. And one of the things that, like, we like to go backpacking sometimes. We've gone hitchhiking, and there's something in houseless retreats, and there's something about that that feels really good and again, a way that's hard to define. You get done with it and you feel like something got replenished. Something nourished you. And it's hard to put your finger on it because it was uncomfortable. Um, in a lot of ways, the way our culture views things like that, it's dangerous. And yet something felt right. Yeah. And I I want to strengthen that. I want that to be my baseline, that simple thing. I think part of what feels right is like the... what. Pitahan. Pitahan. Like, like
1: the guy's Han. Like
0: the Pitahan. Like <laughs> but like them, I think during those times I feel more like I'm ready for what comes my way. Um, I know how to like, you know, if my backpack malfunctions, I can improvise something. I feel like life has gotten to a simple level during those times where I feel okay. I feel I don't feel anxious. And yet I want like living in the van and the things that we can't control as much to be, I want to look at them like gifts, like, okay, this is going to break. There's going to be a time that I cannot replace this, but that's okay. While it's here, I want to enjoy it. And when I can't enjoy it anymore, I feel strong in the things that I have more control over, like my own feet, Hmm. um, things like that. But here's the trap and i fall into this trap as well as i'm reading this it occurs to me i think a lot of tribes when they first encounter like civilization they trade and those things that they trade for first feel like that they feel like gifts they feel like oh we'll just enjoy them while they're here look at this special thing here's this gun wow i mean we don't need it but isn't it cool and like let's hunt with the gun while we've got it but i think we can't help it's a biological thing we can't help but become dependent on things. And so you fall into the trap. And that's what happens to indigenous people. That's what's happened to the uh, the Indians that uh, were um trying to get rid of the British during Gandhi's time, and he was warning them. Um Tecumseh gave the same warning to the uh, indigenous people of the Americas, um, you know, don't trade with them. You've got to get strong in your own stuff. And so I think we fall into that trap because it does give you that sense of like, I can just live for today because, I know how to get food. I know how to build shelter. I'm ready for what this world is going to give me. But in our civilization, we don't get that constant insecurity. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, I'm not ready for anything. I'm just hoping for good luck. And uh, I'm hoping that like I've saved up enough money in uh, ways that are out of my control because we can't even control that. So that that trap, you know, it's. I think I'm kind of, we fool ourselves a little bit with like living in a van, which... I'm not trying to uh, disparage the van life. It's got a lot to offer, but it definitely is not quite that level of independence where we can yeah. just laugh about anything. You know, I was questioning, like, why when things happen to us, the, the Petawa, their shelter falls down, they laugh about it. Why don't Pitohan. we, Pitahan, why don't we laugh when our vehicles break down? Why don't we laugh when our house burns down? It's because we think, oh my God, what am I going to do? We don't feel equipped. To deal with it. That's the difference. And I think that's really important.
1: And we don't feel equipped to deal with it because we're not in our habitat figuring out how to deal with it, like on a regular basis. You know, like uh, you were reading in the book how...
0: You mean like we're traveling, like we're not uh, connected to the land well enough to feel that?
1: Even, even traveling, if you knew how to make a shelter... If you knew how to hunt or trap or otherwise procure forage for food, um, those are probably pretty transferable skills in different locations. But like you were even reading in the book how when the missionary guy was leaving the people in the village, the Pedahans, were saying, like, hey, if you're going to town, like, bring back matches, bring back, like, uh, canned meat.
0: Yeah. Bring his wife blankets. and his daughter were dying of malaria. He was loading them into a canoe, and the people were just unconcerned. They were like, hey, can you bring back a wool blanket? And he was like, getting really pissed. Like, you motherfuckers, you know, like, I'm trying to save my wife. And they did, you know, well, I'm not going to spoil the book for you. But, uh, he said as he lived among them he realized that death was just something that they did not villainize. They they were around death all the time. They buried people all the time in the jungle and it was no big deal. Like they didn't get to sit around and grieve, they still had to go procure food. They didn't even have any real rituals around their death. It was just like death happens. You know, and it wasn't like a callousness because they talk about he said he saw times when a kid would go missing and they would all be really concerned or a kid was sick and they would do anything they could to uh help that kid. That's one of the reasons why they wanted this guy living among them is he had medicine that they valued. Um, but it was strange how they so relished life and cared about the life of others. But when death was there, it was like, yeah, there's death. Yeah. It just is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just the other thing I was thinking of was, you know, eventually if, and I, you know, I don't know enough, I haven't even read the book, but if the Pidahan, uh, people, Rely on, let's say matches. Whatever their method of making a fire, hopefully won't be forgotten. Just like how it was with within Gumby, like your people and my people.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're they're flirting. Like us within civilization, can see the danger they're flirting with. They can't see it because it's unprecedented. If they find a resource in the forest, it's good. Use it. It's just an unprecedented situation, just the way we can't wrap our minds around parts of their culture. They can't wrap their minds around parts of our culture. So these goods, they don't see as like addictive and making them weaker and more dependent. And yet we know from seeing it over and over that unless something happens where the trade doesn't increase, which never seems to be the flow of things, it will weaken them and it will be to their detriment.
1: I mean, hell, even in our own culture, Gumby, There are people that, like, insist that everybody needs to have a smartphone.
0: Oh, definitely. We are definitely (laughs) more the victims of this than anyone. Yeah. I mean, we're utterly dependent. Yeah. And that's what gives us anxiety. We are utterly dependent on people that don't feel like they're in our tribe, that we know we can't trust. We know they lie to us to manipulate us, whether we're just talking about salespeople, politicians, whoever. We know that we're dependent on people that don't have our best interests at heart and on things that we cannot go out in the woods and make. And that is extremely disempowering.
1: This has just gotten me thinking. Hopefully, this isn't too much of a uh, abrupt change of subject. But it just got me thinking about this NPR article that I came across in my news feed. Damn, news feed. <laughs> so distracting. But it was saying how... This is an NPR article, okay? It was saying how scientists are now realizing that they didn't know... What they thought they knew about our human immune system, and how basically with this uh, pandemic that uh, our immune system can actually work. Now they weren't saying to not get the vaccine. Of course, they were pushing like you could have super immunity. Who wouldn't want it?
0: I got to back up. Now, yeah. well, how's that linked to the Peter well, Hunt?
1: Well, if you think about it, see, before this pandemic, sure, we had people dying of various diseases, whether it was malaria, whether it's cancer, this or that, but we we had, I think, more faith in our natural ability. Oh,
0: so you're saying this is another example that we're relying on things outside of our control, like... Big pharmaceuticals, for instance, and there's just one more step in our disempowerment that we don't feel equipped. Like, where are we going to find these medicines that more and more we feel like we need if um, these people that we have every reason not to trust don't provide them? And they always provide them with like a trick, a cost, um, a side effect.
1: And even more than learning how to make a fire with a bow drill set. If you wreck your immune system by not allowing it to be exposed to the natural environment and habitat that you're in, you are going to need all of those drugs. It's, It's worse than relying on a lighter or matches because you are literally messing with your body's natural defenses.
0: Yeah. And we've seen it in so many other examples, like our hygiene practices have made us more susceptible to germs and have also selected for stronger germs. So we're kind of screwing ourselves on both ends of that, that paradigm. Um, is there anything else about that book in particular that you want to, uh, share or speak on?
1: Well, I like Gumby's just kind of reading me passages and we're talking about it, but yeah, I really did like that, uh, that the Pita seem to be able to laugh at so much. And I just, I don't know, like, like I said, the only touch of that that I've had that I can, at least that I can remember is when we've been uh, living even more simply than our regular daily life around the minivan, which is like backpacking trips, hitchhiking trips or houseless retreats where it's just like, Well, you know, we don't have a lot of stuff to worry about. And what we have to worry about, we can figure out. Yeah. So we have a little more security in that way.
0: And of course, uh, death, you know, being such a timely topic um, with my mom passing. And we realized that last year, you know, we talked on the podcast about Teresa's dad passing. And that actually happened. His death date is within two days of my mom's death date. He died on February 4th. And yeah, my mom died on February 2nd. Um, she actually passed right after we recorded last week's podcast, Mr. Fetz, that evening. Yeah. Um, but how much that fear of death informs us, you know, like uh, kind of shapes our views on everything and our actions. And uh, that was another thing that I found extraordinary about the Pedahan is they just accepted death. They didn't expect to live any longer than they lived. And they're like, well, you just enjoy every day. And yeah, of course you're going to die, you know, and I'm going to miss you. And when I die, somebody's going to miss me. And if I'm missing or sick, like people are going to try to help me. We're all in this together. But when I die, nothing bad happened. We just died. And, uh, you know, that's something that we could all try to like invite into more uh you know, just consider is that a helpful way, something that we can move closer to looking at death, because look how much we're manipulated, what crazy extremes're we driven to from fear of death, something that's as natural as life um, but yeah, and uh I guess one thing were you done with what you wanted to talk about with that book? Yeah, one last thing I'd like to share about the book um right in the introduction, he tells the story. And I think it just is such a good tone that he sets for the entire book where he gets awakened by the village. They're all gathering on the banks of the river and they're saying, look, look, it's a spirit. And he goes out there and he looks and he's like, what are you guys looking at? And they're pointing right at the beach, not like in the woods or anything right there in plain view. They say, don't you see it? There's a spirit. He's telling us not to go in the jungle today or he'll kill us. And, um, He looks and there's nothing there. There's not even something to mistake for something like a rock or a log. It's a barren beach. His daughter comes out and says, what are they looking at, daddy? And he says, they say there's a spirit over there. And she looks and doesn't see it and kind of looks puzzled. But I love that because in our culture, we're tempted to look for logical ways that were different. You know, like they think this, this is their ritual. We look to kind of, sometimes we forget that we're trying to see them through the lens that we live in. But that story right from the beginning, I feel like he's letting you know, no, it's more than that. Um, We may very well live in different worlds. Because he doesn't imply in the way he wrote that he doesn't think there was a spirit there. He's just like, I couldn't see it. But they all saw it. The whole village, they could see it. Um, And yeah, just that was a powerful observation. Consider that. (laughs) And again, the name of that book is Don't Sleep, There Are Snakes, um, Life and Language in the Amazonian Jungle by Daniel L. Everett. You got anything on your list you want to talk about or you want to go from here? Take it in any direction you want.
1: Well, you mentioned Nancy's passing. And uh, I don't know how much you wanted to get into that right now or ever. <laughs> it's your, your mom, your choice.
0: I mean, like, like I've talked about and I try to be open with it, like it comes in waves there's a part of me that's very pragmatic, and on some days I can look at her passing in a very, uh, you know, way like I just described. Um, and other times I feel a wave of grief, and I, my goal is to let myself feel it. I don't want to keep it at arm's length, pretend like it's not happening, but what I try to do, and this is language borrowed from Carlos Castaneda, is not indulge in it. Mm. Let it do its thing. Sometimes it means I got to cry. Sometimes it means I need a moment alone. Whatever it's gotta do and then like when it's passed, not feel like I I see some people that kind of indulge in grief. They feel like I've got nothing can make me smile for weeks and weeks because I've lost this person and I'm not supposed to smile. Yeah. That to me seems phony. That's like they're trying to and I get where they're coming from because death is so like I didn't know what to do. It's like this big question mark, What the hell are you supposed to do when somebody dies? It's one of those big things. And it's hard to find a way that feels appropriate to be there. Well, and and his- so I get where they, they get confused, but uh, let me just finish my thought or I'm going to lose it. Um, and I get where they're coming from um, of them, I'm supposed to act like this, this is grief. I'm just trying to treat my grief differently in a way that feels honest to me, which is let it do its thing. And then try to remind myself that nothing bad happened. I'm going to miss my mom. I do miss my mom. That was hard. That was really fucking hard. But I don't believe something bad happened. Death is still not bad, even though it's hard. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing to reconcile. Even as I say it, I'm not sure I completely know what I mean. But it feels I feel truth in it. You know what I mean? I think so. Because it's so hard to really wrap your mind around it's hard, but it's not bad. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But I think that's what death is. It's
1: a rite of passage.
0: And yeah. I'll just... And it's a return to everything we always were. I still believe that. Yeah. That air in her lungs, the the water in her body. I mean, we all just go back to what we always were. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, so there's two things I want to... Oh, I hope I hold on to both of them. Okay, the first one is... I just have to say this. I'm, I'm just going to blurt it out. Nancy had a beautiful passing. She got to go out in her bed that she was in resting peacefully. We wheeled her out in the afternoon. This is before she died and she got to feel the sunshine on her face for whatever was going on that she could hear and experience. We like jingle jangled the wind chimes. And the garden in
0: front of her was called Nancy's garden.
1: Yeah, which is her name. And then like, um, it started to get cloudy and a little too cool for us to feel comfortable leaving her out there. So we brought her in and just almost immediately, for the first time in two years, they had a volunteer playing guitar, like a classical guitar, in the uh, in the hallway, and so she got to hear that. And of course, we were there, and her boyfriend of no. like 20-something years was there. No, and we
0: stepped out in the evening as he was coming in, just to uh, go to the library and come back. We were gone what, maybe an hour? Yeah, just hour to give him some time. Yeah. And uh, in that time, she passed while he was holding her hand, and he said he felt her pass. And uh, I just feel like she wanted to see everybody one last time. She was waiting for him. And, you know, I feel, yeah, I mean, I always told Teresa one thing about her dad's death, as hard as that may be, is I feel like he had a very fortunate death. He died quickly doing something he loved. Yeah. And I worry about the way we pass, but I got to say, I think my mom had a different kind of fortunate death. I think she had to struggle more because of the way she lived. She had to go through some shit that she had to go through. But in the end, yeah, I feel like it was just...
1: I think there was... I, And, of course, I, know, I don't know shit about death. But I do feel like um, she did... Like, she went through some hard things there, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it was what it needed to be for her next step.
0: Yeah. And we were marveling at, uh, she happened to die on February, which is the second month, second, 2022. My mom was born a Gemini and she was born a twin and her twin sister died at birth. Um, she had two names. She was born Ellen Ina Hall. Her name was later changed to Nancy Sue Elwell. And then of course, Montgomery, um, she had two birth certificates for some reason, She uh, and her boyfriend, her current boyfriend also was a twin whose twin died at birth. And so all these twos, and then she dies on 222022, two, 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 was just, uh, it felt very, for, not fortuitous necessarily, but uh, uh, significant.
1: Yeah, and we saw two hawks that were circling around the hawk, was the name of the family pavilion, that wasn't spelled the same. And, uh, God, and there were also two foxes that day. I don't remember if we mentioned that in the last episode, but it was so I think we did so in the cool. raccoon. Oh, yeah, there was only one raccoon. Mm-hmm. But it ate for two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot, and what was the other thing I was going to say? Damn it. Oh, well. <laughs> It'll either come back or it won't.
0: Well, I was thinking about... Oh,
1: I th- it came back.
0: Okay, is it about death? Yes. All right, go for it.
1: Okay. It's very strange... I think Gumby was talking about it before, but it's very strange when people kind of tell you, um, like what to expect, you know, like as you're grieving a person that's going to be gone from your life. And I'm, I I mean, it's again, kind of like a hypnosis, uh, casting a spell with our words because we all are kind of led to believe that death is a bad thing. Um, in general, we all are. And then there's this added step of reinforcing that by telling the people like, you know, you're going to feel anger, you're going to feel denial, you know, you're going to... What if we just simply asked people, how are you feeling? And listened, we might actually learn something. Because for people like myself who've never really experienced a death like right happening in front of me. Of course, people have died in my life, but have not been there. Um, it's something that is. I don't. I don't want to sound really callous. It's. It's. It's really interesting. I don't know Gumby how you would describe it, but it's. It's very interesting. I mean, among a lot of
0: other things, yeah, it is interesting.
1: It's not something that you're likely to, unless you are in some sort of like you know nursing field or something like that you don't generally get to be around death. So when you experience it for yourself for the first time in your life...
0: When you say experience, you mean like a close one, person close to you dying? Being there. Oh, like actually, yeah. Yeah.
1: And and yes, it it differs on the degree to which you know this person, but it's so refreshing also to see like, well, I don't feel particularly like what the people are telling me, maybe in certain instances. Yeah. But not in every instance. And we don't hear generally the sides of like, you know, I thought it was really beautiful. I thought that this is, you know, something that of course I'm sad that Nancy's not here, but now she's everywhere. You know, like you don't hear those sides of people's feelings because I think we're, you know, if we say it, it's like, Ooh, that person didn't really care a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah grief is such an emotionally charged thing. Like it can trigger people. It's a kind of a hard thing to talk about for that reason. But, uh, yeah. And one of the things as I sat there, like we walked in and, you know, there's three nurses and a doctor and her boyfriend there. And it's like, well, there's only one reason there'd be this many people in the room. And so they told us my mom had passed and they walked out of the room and red stuck around her boyfriend a little bit. And, uh, you know, we both shed a few tears. We didn't, uh, I mean, we just saw it coming. I guess right then wasn't the time that either one of us just broke. (sighs) We've had plenty of time to work through that and still might have more to work through, probably do. Um, But one of the things that was just extraordinary to me was how fuzzy the line between life and death was. I'd never quite seen that. Mm -hmm. I'd seen my mom unconscious for these days laying there, but breathing and uh, moving a little. And then to see the life gone from her body and just to, uh, you know, she wasn't cool yet. Her lips were still pink. Mm -hmm. Um, I could still go over and touch her and kiss her forehead. And um, I don't know. I guess it just never clicked with me how close death is to life. I guess I just thought there'd be some big difference like, oh, there's a dead body. And I'd never been that close. I've had people that have died to me, died that were close to me but I've never actually been there during the time when it happened. So I guess and, that's what you're talking about, like actually being there for death.
1: Yeah, and you've killed animals, like in survival situations. Yeah. So you've seen them die, but it's different.
0: I've had that move me in different ways, yeah. but yeah, it is different. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was really significant. And, uh,
1: but just to remember, I mean, not to interrupt you there.
0: I didn't even know where I was going, so. That's why I was interrupting. <laughs> uh,
1: just to remember that... If you can, um, ask the person how they're doing. Of course, you got to read the situation. You don't want to, like, just make them fall apart when they're in the grocery store or something like I do um, at a Chinese buffet. But, um, like, really feel out the situation. And instead of telling them how they're going to feel, listening to how they actually feel. You might learn something. We all might learn something, especially if we stop repeating the same spell when it comes to death.
0: Yep, I think that's generally what we all need is listening more. And uh, I think sometimes I think I'm a better listener than I am because I listen to things other people don't, but I forget about the things that I'm not listening to, which sometimes are things they are listening to. You know, like little things, like you writing cards to people and stuff like that. You know, when I'm faced with death, like I said in our last episode, I see the importance of that. But when I'm not right there, even now I feel that that fading away. I don't feel like I want to write cards to people. Mm -hmm. But right then I realize what the hell is important about that. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I marvel at people like you're seeing something I'm not. And I think it's true. That's one of my blind spots. I just, I can try to act on what I don't see because I feel the truth in it, but I don't see it. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It's nothing but a blind spot. And I was also thinking like how we celebrate birthdays. You know, I'm thinking of people, especially like famous people who have passed, but it seems to me more important to celebrate death dates. Like that's the day you graduated. That's the culmination of yeah. your life. That's the That was the day you had been training for your entire life. That was the big game. And the big game is how you leave this world, just leaving this world. Um, like we talked about in Death Cult, what if our entire life is training for that last day? Cause if you can get that last day, right, whenever that might be and you know, for my mom, her last day was, I don't know. You might say the day of her second stroke. Cause after that, her choices are limited. She's in bed and mm-hmm. comatose. Um, but whatever that last day is like, what if you just spent your whole life training for whatever would make that the best possible day on this earth? What would that life look like? And, uh, you know, it's one of the things death teaches.
1: It's like it's like in those movies that are kind of generally corny movies where the there's a coach or somebody that's like, come on, give me all you've got. And like you do, you see the person that's like supposed to do that. And then the coach is like, that's not good enough. I know you've got more. Like not holding back. We were listening to that uh, episode we had last night uh, of our podcast talking about the movie Gattaca, right?
0: I mean, our podcast is one of the best podcasts out there. I can't help it. Yeah. I just got to listen to it. But yeah, we were talking about Gattaca and and the transhuman series. Yeah.
1: And how the main character, like he was pitted against in this, uh, this, I don't know, this competition against somebody that was supposedly like superhuman, better than him genetically. And yet he won the contest because he didn't Mm -hmm. hold anything back. And I felt like I feel like death, like if you're training, that,
0: that reminds me of the Peter too.
1: Yeah. If you're training all your life for death, you, even when you come up against something and you don't feel like you have enough, you do, you just got to dig deeper. And I really like, I th- I really think Nancy did that. She, yeah. she for a long time, didn't feel like she had that reserve. She didn't know she had the strength that she did, but she finally realized it.
0: Yeah. I felt like that death was sort of a. I don't know how this universe works. I hate when I get have to use words about sentience and stuff like that because I really don't know. But something it was like she got a gift right at the end by whatever could give a gift. Mhm. And um, I do feel like that the way she passed was a a very gentle, like, I don't know, like a kiss on the forehead. You when, know.
1: When did we see that leaf cyclone? We were sitting there. Wasn't that? That
0: might have been earlier. That was yeah it was afterwards yeah
1: after she passed
0: right before she passed yeah we were sitting in the grass in the sun I think it was after we were did the last podcast and we were kind of like just trying to pull ourselves together and everything and we saw the cyclone of uh wind and leaves and it
1: kept going and going and going and going
0: and now that I think about it it was kind of short and wide like my mom (laughs) And it didn't seem to know where it was going. <laughs> and it was
1: picking up everything in its path. It was making a mess. <laughs> that was your mom. Yeah. You know, did you see that spirit? It was well, right I didn't there. at the time,
0: but yeah, I mean, and, you know, we also talk about choice. You know, you might say, oh, yeah, I mean, there's some kind of term where people read into things. I feel like that's your choice. Is that the way you want to see the world or do you want to find significance in things? I love that movie Signs with Mel Gibson because he makes that point, <laughs> you know, and that's like he's talking about when he lost faith and he's like, do you want to see signs around you, messages the way uh, God is talking, or do you just not want to see it? And it's your choice. And uh, yeah, so I'm glad you brought up that uh, whirlwind.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Makes me think of Johnny Cash. Whirlwind. <laughs> And she liked Johnny Cash.
2: Hmm.
0: All right. So, Teresa. Yes. Hey, Teresa. Hey. Hey, tell us about the pussy spoon.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. Did we get your attention there? Mm. Um, when I met Gumby, shortly after I met Gumby, he decided that we were in a long-term relationship. So, he decided to give me this spoon that he had carved. And it's made of cedar and it like it smelled really good in and of itself. Still listening. Um, but because it's wood, you know, you want to make sure that it remains like moist and supple and, you know, (laughs) so we would put, um, like coconut oil on it and like rub Ah. it in and everything. And then like, uh, see the coconut oil was like next to the bed. So anyway,
0: why was it next to the bed?
1: Oh, I think because there was some other dry things that needed to be (laughs) moisture.
0: Wow, good answer. So,
1: because... Okay. 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 So, because this (laughs) spoon smelled like uh, a coconut pussy, uh, we called it the pussy spoon. So, we've had this spoon now for like five years, I think.
0: And I used to do well, this kind of fucked together. up thing that I thought was funny at the time. But now looking back, I'm like, maybe that was kind of fucked up. Oh my God. But I'd be doing a class and I'd be like talking about coal burning and stuff like that. And uh, I'd is bring how out-
1: Which you made the spoon.
0: I'd bring out the spoon and I just got such a kick out of this because nobody knew what the spoon was. To them, I was just bringing out like, here's what you can make in the woods.
1: And it did not go into any. Pussy that
0: I know of. Only Teresa knew it was the pussy spoon. <laughs> and so I'd pass it around and I'd invite people like, yeah, like feel the way it's like sanded. And can you smell it? Do you smell the cedar? <laughs> people would be like, yeah, it's, yeah, I do smell that. That smells really good.
1: Actually, it also has a hint of coconut, I
0: think. And I'd just smirk at <laughs> Teresa and I'd be like dying laughing on the inside. But anyway.
1: Oh, but uh, it wasn't... Well, it was dirty, but it wasn't dirty, dirty. Anyway, so Gumby, I don't even know how long you'd had that spoon since like before you met me, but we've been together now for like five long years, decades. I'm going
0: to guess maybe a year, but you know me in time.
1: And this spoon was so special that when, throughout all the times that we've been in the minivan downsizing, it has passed the muster because of course it would it's a spoon it's very useful and Gumby made it and how special is it to have a spoon that you made yourself well a couple weeks ago now probably about a month ago um I lost the spoon the pussy spoon was MIA and I searched through all of the van I like just went through everything in great detail and I couldn't find it and I'm so upset and i think back and i'm trying to like reconstruct the timeline as to when i might have lost the pussy spoon and the only thing i can think of is we had found all these desserts in the dumpster that included pies and i thought did i leave the pussy spoon in one of the pie boxes that i threw out so Now, it had snowed, we were at our camp, and we couldn't really do anything, the pussy spoon was lost, and then we were leaving, and the the roads were clear of the snow and ice, and we stop at the place where I had thrown out the garbage that's not too far away from where we stay at in country here. There's a garbage can that the city parks empty out, so we'll occasionally drop, like, small, a couple bags of garbage from our stay, and we see... park employee that we love so much, Ted, that we've mentioned before on the show. And he cleans up the trash so we were like oh Ted wait like have you picked up the trash recently and he's like no I didn't but maybe somebody did before the snowstorm we're like oh man so I I still look in the garbage can to see if our garbage is there it's not there the spoon is gone for good now I know the spoon's gone and Gumby's trying to egg me on to like make a new spoon because I was the one that lost the spoon and it's a good skill to have it's only fair it's only fair you lose the pussy spoon you gotta make a pussy spoon (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, I haven't even gotten, uh, to doing that at all yet, but, uh, I was very sad. I was depressed. Um, yeah. And it was getting to be like an indulgence of my, uh, my guilt. I admit I can see that now, but it was sad. Right. And, and a couple weeks passed and we were out again at a different park and we see Ted, pull up in his truck and we're like Ted and he comes out
0: well it was what was it what day was that I don't know had we done the classes
1: your mom had passed already it might have been Friday
0: if we done the class it was like pretty soon after my mom's passing
1: yeah so a few days ago we see Ted and he's walking toward us and he doesn't necessarily get out of his truck and come say hi to us. I mean, it was even raining that day. So he had to walk a little bit in the rain to get to the picnic shelter where we were. And he said, I have something for you. And he holds up the pussy spoon. I mean, he doesn't know it's the pussy spoon, but he knows it's our spoon, even though he's never seen it before. He's like, there's only one person or two people in the world that I know of would have a spoon like this and would be anywhere around the parks and the funny thing is Ted found it on this path that he walks all the time but it wasn't there until what did he say a couple days before so he he picked it up he knew it was our spoon he left it in the truck so that when he saw us next he would have it and he gave it to us and it had been run over it's got many battle scars now
0: it's actually in a better shape to work as a spoon. I just got to, like, <laughs> sand out some of the cracks and it's, stuff.
1: It's flatter now. It's not as deep of a spoon, which, yeah, it was kind Ooh. of awkward to eat certain things with. But it was still, and still is, a very um, special spoon. One of a kind. Yeah. And Ted, man!
0: Look yeah, at that! Yeah, right on the Ted. And the series of coincidences <laughs> that had to happen to bring that spoon back to us just kind of blew my mind. It felt like... You know, like I said, like looking for those things that are just like, wow, what are the odds? I feel like that happens all the time. And we just don't think like, whoa, um, for Ted to be at that one, uh, pull off that we've never seen him at. It's this quiet little pull off in the middle of the country with one trash can. First time we see him there just happened to be doing an activity where we communicate that to him. We don't, I mean, we're not talking about the spoon everywhere we go. (laughs) And for him to happen to have that job to go to that other park and then walk that path you know, like any of those things, if they wouldn't have lined up, that spoon's gone. Yeah. So it's just really cool when something comes back to you like that. So we got the pussy spoon back on board. Yay! And the only thing I'm uh, allowing myself, you know, like we don't really keep mementos. We can't, we feel like our philosophy can't keep mementos, but for now, I'm taking fits. So we got fits like riding along with us. I put him out in the sun on pretty days.
1: and <laughs>
0: Aww. That's my one kind of. Mr. Um, Fitz. Yeah, old Mr. Fitz. So. He's on board.
1: Mm hmm. Mr. Fitz and the Pussy Spoon. What else you got?
0: Well, we could go in a few directions, Teresa. Oh.
1: Oh, can I share this high thought that I had the other night? Oh, Jesus. It's just random.
0: <laughs> I knew that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I said to Gumby, because you were like doing this weird. Like rubbing your hands together da- dance?
0: Hey, you leave me alone. I'm a white person and I still like to dance and damn it, I have a right to try.
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's a right. <laughs> but so
0: That might be uh, white hate.
1: <laughs> it's a macro aggression. <laughs> so I tell him, don't be self-conscious. I don't even know if I exist. So that was my high thought last night. Oh, my God. And was it as Didn't I tell you
0: that if you write anything down when you're high, you're going to look at it the next day and it's not going to be as good?
1: I I think it's clever and witty and deep.
0: Okay. Say it again.
1: Don't be self-conscious. I don't even know if I exist.
0: It is deep.
1: (laughs) I'll tell you that. When
0: I think about it a little bit, it's deeper than I first think.
1: Thinked. I think the word you were looking for was thinked. What would I say? Think. Yeah. Thinked. (laughs) Thinked.
0: All right, we could either talk about socialism, we could talk about current issues. Oh, my God. I'm going to give you the rundown. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I know where I want to go next. Okay. Well, I wanted to talk about the climate, this climate change stuff. and uh,
1: Climate science?
0: Is that what it's called now? I don't know. Well.
1: Just ask its pronouns.
0: I pay no attention to the dire climate predictions anymore. I don't share their hubris and pessimism, and I don't trust them. Um, they're too far gone to even know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. I say mother earth and life is not subject to the rules of white coats. And I believe is more powerful and magical and mysterious than anyone can imagine. Typically, whenever they want me afraid, they're trying to sell me something. Now, when I say sell me something, it could be an idea. It could be a politician. It could be, you know, I mean, that's their main tool of manipulation is selling us stuff. <laughs> Um, No matter what they say, I want to live as simply and wildly as possible, not out of fear of anyone's predictions, but because it's a right and beautiful way to live. So, you know, I I wonder, like, this climate change stuff, it's got us so scared, and I understand why we're scared, but here's the thing. What's the point of being scared unless it motivates you to change?
1: Exactly! So
0: what I see is a lot of people scared shitless that still are not motivated to do the, the big... Things that would have to be done to not contribute to it. So, my premise is no matter what they say about the climate, that only helps them to manipulate me through fear because there's no other reason to make me just needlessly afraid unless they're trying to sell me something. Something.
1: Right. Electric vehicle.
0: I don't need that. I already think the best way to live is as simply and wildly as I can get, as close as I can get to that. Maybe I can't break completely free. But I keep finding I can get a, a little touch closer. So as close as I can find my way to get into live, living free and wild. And uh, if I can do that, it's good for the climate anyway. It's the only thing I can really do. Yeah. So I don't need the fear.
1: Hear, hear. Oh, do you think that when people are fearful of the climate stuff but don't do anything themselves, would you call that indulging?
0: Uh, that's not the word that—I mean, I guess, maybe, that's not the word that comes to mind for me. Um, they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Ah! I guess you could say it's in like, you know, I'm trying to think of like what Don Juan would say here, but I guess you could say they're indulging in their blindness, hmm. because it's something we can all see.
2: Yeah. You
0: can call people out on it. Uh, there's really no logical response to that. We are all doing things that we know aren't necessary— um, and we know we're damaging something that we are getting more and more scared shitless of. That's just it. I mean, how do you argue with that? Even if you don't believe we're affecting the climate, which some people don't. I mean, look out in your own fucking parks and roadsides and stuff. Go out and, like, pay attention to the birds for the next five years. Um, you'll see the difference. And also, no matter what they say, I find myself unable to change others beyond the subtle influence of my own example. Um No matter what they say, I live in a world, a universe I have almost no control over, and I can still find natural beauty on any given day. I still have today. It's all I ever had, and I never was getting out of here alive. So, yeah, this doom and gloom, it just, uh, you know, I'm done with the climate change shit. Um, I'm doing everything I could, even if I was scared of the climate the climate change, but what I see is it's not helping people change. And what I think is the whole point is what changes you, what changes the course of your life? You know what I mean?
1: I just keep going back to the thought of, um, like you were saying, why live in this fear, either do something about it. And by you doing something about it, you being everybody that's listening Everybody that's listening tells somebody else, do something about it and change the world. Or just fucking enjoy the sunshine before it burns your skin off your bones.
0: Yeah, it's the change that's important and the fear doesn't seem to be an effective emotion to fuel change. It just doesn't. I mean, look around. People are scared shitless and doing the same shit they've always done.
1: You're choosing to live in fear. That's what I mean when I say they're indulging.
0: Yeah, okay. I get that. And you can, cho- yeah, I, I think most people just aren't aware that they can choose something else. They think they're afraid because scary things are happening. They don't realize that it's just that things are happening, that you can look at it differently. It's not intrinsically scary.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just like death, just like
1: We're doing
2: hell,
0: like getting a vaccine. Like everybody, you know, if you're, who the hell would still be listening to us that's pro-vax, but let's just imagine somebody is. And uh, you would tell the same thing to a kid that you want to get vaccinated. You know, like, uh, God, what was I just saying?
1: Well, we were talking about fear and indulging and not doing anything and also not enjoying.
0: Yeah, like, you know, go ahead and face the fear and get the shot and that it's ultimately for the good. Something along the what I was saying.
1: Well, I mean, if you've got, put it this way, if you've already gotten whatever the hell's in that shot injected into your body, man, just... Enjoy your life. If you're still fearful after that, you're indulging. You're indulging. That's not medical advice. That's (laughs) practical advice.
0: Yeah. Damn, I wish I'd get that thought back. Uh, Felt like a good one. I'm sorry. (laughs) And let's see. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about the climate?
1: I didn't necessarily have anything to say about the climate, except that I've been tossing around in my head for a while, like, I don't know who to believe, or if I need to believe anything other than my own eyes, so I'm kind of glad that I was in that space of, like, whatever you want to call it, I think it's happening, like, what I'm saying is, something is happening, something is happening, Mm. It's, it's not a lack of things happening, except people changing their habits. So, I mean, if it's getting warmer, I'm just going to enjoy the warmer days.
0: Yeah, I think of those four agreements we've talked about before, and one of the four agreements that he said um was one of the most important that that one alone could change the course of your life is don't make assumptions. Hmm. The fact is we don't know. We don't know anything. Um and I think that's really important with the climate. Like these dire forecasts of like, oh, we're about to be killed with this or that. It just ruins our experience of today. And when you really find your way into wanting to experience today to the fullest, I think you naturally want to live as simply and lightly as possible because it feels right. It's where you belong. It's it's the way you live presently um, in the moment. So, yeah. So to hell with climate change. I think it's a manipulation, even if in fact it is a, happening the way they say. I think they're using it as a manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um and while we're talking about not knowing things, mm-hmm. somebody shared on Facebook this uh, anecdote, and I thought it was really good, and uh, here goes. Oh, I like this one. Want to hear it? Here it goes. Want to hear here it? Here goes. An atheist was seated next to a dusty old cowboy on an airplane, and he turned to him and said, Do you want to talk? Flights go quicker if you strike up a conversation with your fellow passenger. The old cowboy, who had just started to read his book, replied to the total stranger, What would you want to talk about? Oh, I don't know, said the atheist. How about why there is no God or no heaven or hell or no life after death? As he smiled smugly. (laughs) Okay, he said. Those could be interesting topics, but let me ask you a question first. A horse, a cow, and a deer all eat the same stuff, grass. Yet a deer excretes little pellets while a cow turns out a flat patty, but a horse produces clumps. Why do you suppose suppose that is? The atheist, visibly surprised by the old cowboy's intelligence, thinks about it and says, Hmm, I have no idea. To which the cowboy replies, Do you really feel qualified to discuss God, heaven, and hell, or life after death when you don't know shit? No!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fact check, false. We don't have any record of any old cowboy ever being on an airplane.
0: (laughs) And what I like about that (laughs) is... Damn it. Oh, uh, my brain just went, oh, what I like about that is we don't know what the cowboy thinks. <laughs> what do you think, Teresa?
1: I just I just love how very insightful that is. And I just love the idea of a cowboy having so much more wisdom than somebody that's like, ph- like used philosophy to define their entire being. And forgotten to live and experience things on their own.
0: Yeah. And I like the way the story's told. The cowboy never has like, uh, we don't know what his beliefs are, but like Socrates, he's pointing out to the atheists, like, the fact know is like, you don't know shit. And we don't, I get the impression that the cowboy also is saying like, I don't know.
2: Yeah.
0: I got my beliefs. And uh, I think that's a really powerful, you know, lesson. And, uh. Part of the story
1: hmm. And I like how the cowboy Was reading a book
0: Yeah I thought it was funny All the little things In the story That kind of like <laughs> I mean like He just started to read his book You know that was in there Like he's being interrupted That's what we need to know <laughs> So we know that The atheist is annoying um, The atheist smiled smugly Oh yeah <laughs> you know, It's just really like Paints a, a really clear mm. picture Of and where it's painting, taking us.
1: painting the story That's important
0: Mm-hmm and I want to talk about some current events. Okay. Um, so what is something that you've seen in the news lately that caught your eye
1: uh,
0: or your attention?
1: I neglected to write down my source. So haters, you're going to have to do the work for me. But I saw an article that was talking about research showing spike proteins showing up in heart, lung, and liver tissue, spike proteins that are not supposed to be there. Um, and this was in bodies of people that had died from COVID. Uh, did I say that right? Hmm.
0: I don't remember. It was in the bodies of people who had died from COVID, the spike proteins? Yeah. And... Oh, or did you mean died from the vaccine?
1: Well died from the spike proteins being in their organ tissues, okay? Can I just leave it at that? That's what they died from. It was an autoimmune response to the spike proteins that produced a cytokine storm in their bodies, which was autoimmune attack on their vital organs. (laughs) But, as it pointed out in a—if it wasn't the same article, it was a different article— Once you're dead, nobody needs to know if you were vaccinated. So if you died with, I'm assuming, traces of COVID in your body, if there are like the spike proteins in your uh, vital organs, they either came from the vaccine or they didn't. But what I'm getting at is nobody's asking whether or not those people had been vaccinated. Because it doesn't matter unless you're alive. Hmm. Nobody's keeping track of that fact. Wow. You're too high for this, aren't you?
0: No, no. no. (laughs) I'm following. I'm following. And uh, what do you think of the Freedom Convoy?
1: Oh. Well, you know, I don't know what to think completely. Because there is just so much in this world that... I will never know and I don't really care to know, but I do think it's cool that Chuckers got together and if it wasn't, um, you know, just like a big publicity stunt and they're getting paid under the table for showing up, I think it's really cool that we can still get organized, um, in ways that are seemingly defying government, uh, authorities Yeah. But I don't know how long that'll be for.
0: Yeah, like all things, you know, that you're not involved in sometimes, even if you are involved in it, we don't really know what's going on. That's the bottom line. I don't even know what's going on. But from what I've heard and what I've seen, um, I really support it. I'm excited that, like, they're organizing in this way and that this might actually catch on of, of like, a more effective way to resist. Um, And, you know, we've got some experience with truckers hitchhiking and everything, so it's kind of cool to think about, like, that culture, You know, that, uh, in my experience talking with truckers at truck stops and stuff, there was like a growing feeling of discontent, you know, from the automation and the computerization and, you know, a lot of them can't pick up hitchhikers anymore and stuff like that. And, um, just a growing restriction on their freedoms. And that was before the pandemic. So I can definitely see this being a trucker movement and coming from the truckers, um, And these few people that are giving it a bad name I mean, this is an old play We see this all the time You know, whoever's flying like Nazi flags And shit like that I bet they have some connection to the FBI Or CIA Well, in Canada, I don't know I don't know what Canada's version of that is
1: The The CIA? The Royal Mounted CIA?
0: CIA? Sorry (laughs) We're gonna really fuck you over Sorry (laughs) Sorry But yeah, I mean, there's always, that's a common tactic. Like with the January 6th insurrection, um, you know, the main leaders, organizers, some of these groups, like the Proud Boys and people that were supposed to be there, they still have not been tried, uh, have been what am I, convicted of criminal charges.
1: Mm. Well, trespassing, I think, was the charge.
0: I mean, the, the main leaders haven't. Oh. Yeah. And meanwhile, like, you know, little people that just got caught in this video or whatever are like sitting in prison sometimes. But, uh, yeah, these plants back to Cohen, Telepro and the Black Panthers. I mean, that's an old play. So until I see like something that makes me believe it more, I just assume anybody, uh, you know, that's oh, yeah, that right. kind of person is probably on the FBI payroll.
1: Remember when they tried to get Martin Luther King to kill himself? Yeah. Cause he was a bad person.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's how they discredit people.
1: Remember how just recently, like they discredited Gandhi because he like slept with his niece, but didn't like, do anything with her, at least as far as we know. But they're like, oh, he's a fucking creeper.
0: Yeah. And meanwhile, we got Trudeau, who's up there and like...
1: (laughs) But he's okay.
0: Villainizing all these truckers, you know, in this protest while he was supporting BLM, the Black Lives Matter protest, which uh, caused at least as much damage. I'm pretty sure more. I just don't... Haven't looked at the facts enough to say for sure. But I mean, they were setting cars on fire, you know, it was like a big protest. And these people have a different point of view. So Trudeau is. Villainizing him. Meanwhile, there's pictures of Trudeau in blackface.
2: And he's calling them racist.
0: Like, how many truckers can they find that have pictures of themselves in blackface? Probably not too many.
1: Truckers don't like to get their picture taken a lot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I don't know. We met a trucker that I think was Pakistani. Pakistani,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, That was telling us about how they... Like, in in his experience... And he had been driving... Um, big rigs for like two or three years. They, they didn't have all the gears anymore. It was just like, I don't know, like just like automatic. It was automatic truck, like 18 wheeler. And they also didn't have CB radios. Now that was his experience. And then we met another trucker guy. Now this isn't at the freedom convoy. This is just in our travels. Um, that uh, it was a, a black guy and he was talking to us when we were on our hitchhiking trip and we had Um, just gotten dropped off by the Pakistani trucker, if I'm thinking correctly, I might be getting this all mixed up, but he like offered to get us a shower at the truck stop as well as a, um, he brought us out a pizza, super nice guy. And, uh, and of course, there's oh, other people at around. at that truck stop in Virginia? I think so.
0: No, that wasn't the Pakistani guy. He was really nice, and he uh, dropped us off at the truck stop, and it was this old black guy. Well, no, that's what trucker. I said.
1: I didn't know what the, the chain of events was. But anyway, the point well, was, Well, that was yeah. the chain of events. Yeah. So the, the black guy was. And these are, you know, two different people, both nice people, both not white. Um, and the white people that we encountered that were at the truck stop, they were all pretty nice, except that one guy that was, like, the manager of uh truck stop at a different
0: place Managers of any color are assholes That's yeah, how you get to be a manager That
1: is true So, I mean, again, I was just relating this Because um, the Freedom Convoy Seems to be made up of a diverse group Of truckers Who are for their freedoms Of not having to be vaccinated To do their job um, And, like Gumby said There's a, a picture being painted Being constructed around Like, oh, well, when you think of a trucker Of course you think, a yeah Oh, you know, just like a a redneck, racist, probably neo-Nazi. And that's just simply not the case.
0: Simply. It's simply not the case. As it were. As it were. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the craziness on the left, um, another video we encountered this week was uh, this this black guy was in an elevator. I think this was in California. And um, he didn't have a mask on. So these two white women get on the elevator and they're wearing masks. (laughs) And at some point, they start trying to kick him off the elevator. So he brings out his phone and the video, which is on our Facebook page um, and was put on TikTok, was him taking a video of them. So they whip out their phones, too, and they're starting to beat him. like They're like, don't touch me. And the woman takes off her mask long enough to yell at him, don't touch me, and then puts it back up. And they're just out of their minds. They hit him in the face with their phone. And while they're beating this black guy for not having a mask and he won't get off the elevator, they're yelling, Black Lives Matter! Black, black Lives, Lives Matter!
1: Matter! <laughs> it's, it is it is so absolutely crazy. You have to see it with your eyes. You can't just listen to it because it sounds like it's made up. It was so up. crazy
0: that Teresa was like, I don't believe that. And then when you watch the video, it's like, no, that was not scripted. No. Oh.
1: <laughs> that was not a staged event that was and you know i i hate to laugh even though it's hilarious but it's really a sad commentary of first of all the black man getting hit in the face and i don't even think he's gonna press charges against these two crazy ass old white women because they're crazy they are fucking like they've lost their minds yeah yeah I yeah. just, I mean, when you watch it, it's uh, it's part hypnosis, it's part hilarity. I mean, it's, it's perfect for entertainment value, but it's really sad because these are not the only two white people, white women or people in general. They're acting this effing crazy.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we target the left a lot because the left is just so fucking easy to target. Um, <laughs> and I've been in like several debates <laughs> with leftists um, this last week and recently. And this kind of like just craziness is not rare. Like people are, are just losing their minds about stuff. Um, the, <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example right off the top of my head, but, uh, yeah, I also wanted to say it's the right too. You know, I had, I, in when the same day I had somebody on the left call me an imperialist capitalist. <laughs> and then later that day, um, Somebody on the right in a different conversation called me a leftist. Yeah. And it was, yeah, just people are losing their minds on both sides. Like I said, I see it more on the left, but it's not absent on the right either. I think people are just going nuts. Yeah. 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 I got
1: somebody close to me that's, uh, well, I got a couple people close to me that are going nuts, aside from Gumby. Uh, I want to keep it a little vague. Because I you know first of all I don't need to be airing all of uh, everybody's business on this podcast' This even. after
0: the pussy spoon
1: well that was my business <sighs> but anyway the um, the people that I'm talking about are uh, suffering um, but also I think a little bit indulging in their uh, in their rights of suffering if you will if you will as it were Uh And leading to a lot of um, miscommunication, a lot of confusion. And nobody's enjoying life, including myself, because I'm now caught in the middle of it. And I'm having, like, I feel like heart palpitations happening. And Gumby's trying to be like, just, you know, calm down. Like, think of, just like, get your wits about you. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. Because it's like this this poison that's like from one person to the next. And then, you know, and then I talk about it and I'm passing it on to you and I'm sorry. I'm trying to keep it vague, but it's just, um, people are really suffering right now. And when we talked about, you know, climate change, like you're either gonna do something about it or like just stop fearing it. Like you're obviously not fearing it enough to change any of your habits. So why don't you just enjoy your life if you're not going to change. Why are you feeling bad about it? You're indulging.
0: It's useless. They are indulging. But we all indulge in something. And I think they get stuck. Like uh, they are aware of the 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 thing to fear. But they don't feel able to change. And so that's why people are suffering so much. Because well, they know that they are the architects of their own destruction. They know it.
1: And this applies what you're saying to a lot of situations, not just the climate of the no, earth. No, I
0: agree, yeah. And pretty much the whole uh, human experience in our civilization right now is some version of that. Mm-hmm. We know we're the architects of our own destruction, and the average person thinks they're powerless to do anything about it. They've been so indoctrinated that to think like of giving up civilization at this point feels like uh, Dante's Inferno. They're going into hell. Like, it would be better to just die in civilization because these things these people are so deeply entrenched in and addicted to. And, uh,
1: even in our life, I have... wish
0: I could give everybody that walk last Sunday. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I invited some people out, um, for this weekend because it's supposed to be even warmer than it is today. But, um, I guess I'm just. I really want people to reflect on their situations because, like you said, I think it's a lot easier to point a finger hey, at somebody
0: As. versus yourself. If you want to make the world a better place,
1: take a look at yourself
0: and then make a change. Yeah. That's what a great man once said. Yes.
1: I don't know what else I was gonna say. I forget. That's all I got.
0: Shit, I don't even remember what you were just talking about. What were you talking about?
1: Um, I, well, I was I was talking about people indulging in their victimhood, mm-hmm. which is a big problem in society today. Whether it's a um, personal problem or a worldwide, global planet problem, it's all it's all the same. You're choosing. Yeah. You are, in fact, choosing.
0: Yeah. That. Yeah. Tom Brown, when uh, you take the first course with him, his standard course, at the very end, before he sends everybody home for the week, he tells the story he calls Grandfather and the Fisherman. And uh, I think we've talked about it in former episodes, but the message of that story, the last thing he wants every student, even if they don't take another class with him, to go home with is a story – telling you the power of choice. You can choose whether in the story to be the fisherman who spent his whole life fishing on the beach and been blind to the beauty of it. And when it's finally pointed out to him at the end of his life, how, how the sand sparkles like jewels, how the fish catches the sunlight and glows like a rainbow, brings him to tears because he realized he spent all those years right here in the middle of the beauty and didn't see it. Or he can be like grandfather who uh, goes down to the water Um, after a long walk, he never carries water. He keeps it special and sacred. And when he goes to the water, he pets it like a a loved one. He caresses it. And then he holds it up to the sunlight and admires all the colors and the light flashing in the water as it dribbles out of his hand. And then he slowly takes his lips and drinks from the river and then immerses himself as if he just laid back in the most comfortable, um, beautiful place he could be.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So, I really like that, and it just highlights what you were saying, you know? I, I, The power of choice. People forget they have that, and they want us to forget that yeah. we have that.
1: I remembered what I was going to say, too. Even in our life, we have not escaped society, not yet anyway.
0: Even in our life?
1: Even in our life. Huh. Uh, we're still tied to civilization, and yet people are, like I've mentioned in previous episodes, my uncle, for one, and a couple other people now are kind of um, questioning outright like asking me or even telling me like I I know you're you're sad I know you know your life is hard it's like what I don't feel that way like (laughs) sure life is hard sometimes it's not always going to be good if you live a different life if you're a millionaire you're still gonna have bad days but it's like this projection of they're not happy in their life so they're trying to like also make sure that I'm not happy in my life, and I'm not choosing that. That's like, Gumby, when you tell kids, like, if they call you a name, like, a plum, you don't think you're a plum. Yeah. I don't think I'm unhappy.
0: You've got to agree with the spell for it to have power over you.
1: I mean, for for close people to have uh, now passed into their next step, their next stage of being, and and for me to be missing those people just fairly recently, you know? It's not that I'm a cold, callous person. I'm enjoying my life. like that loss makes me love life more. And right now, like today, Gumby said it, the sun is shining, it's warm. It's a beautiful day. I don't feel this sadness, this depression, this anxiety, not right now. Yeah. And I just hope that other people can experience that. Get outside.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Get yourself connected. Mm Mhm. Yeah, the people that I mean, when we look around, the people that supposedly are leading the more safe uh, lives, I'm seeing people in crisis everywhere. And I think Teresa and I, I mean, God knows we're having our struggles, and we got like everybody else a lot more in front of us. But um, I feel like we're coping like probably as well as anybody. I mean,
2: not better.
0: Yeah, and not even coping. You know, that sounds like. You know, everything is so problematic. It's just not the way we see things. And I think it boils down, like, a lot of people, if they were living like us, this is what they're afraid of. <laughs> that they'll have to live like us.
1: They'll have to be sitting outside on a beautiful day instead of being bottled up in some job or having to, like, worry about bills they have That's to pay. That's
0: why they don't lock us up. They want us wandering around out there scaring, scaring the fucking shit out of the middle <laughs> class. Like, if you don't do what we tell you, you're going to be those people. Ooh-wee. Do you see the holes in that girl's pants? You're going to be like her. Mm that jacket since she's had since high school mm-hmm. <laughs> that's falling apart <laughs> and let's not even get started on that guy got that badger thing going on
1: mm-hmm.
0: and those rippling muscles mm,
1: you choice.
0: don't want to be like that Mm-mm. 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 but yeah so
1: so take that civilization and
0: society <laughs> all right and I guess one last thing that I wanted to uh, talk about with current events boy we got on a big uh, side trip there Was the band books? We've been. I don't know if we'll be able to get into it because you know I think we're our energy's starting to wind down and we've been talking a while. But we've been all into Edward Bernays lately. I got my second book written by Edward Bernays that's called "Crystallizing Public Opinion," Mm -hmm. and um, we got turned on by a on Facebook. Somebody shared a video that was called.
1: Century of
0: the Self. Century of the Self, parts one through four. And at least the two beginning, of, well, I'd say the whole thing really, um, is a really good introduction into propaganda and Edward Bernays and uh, Sigmund Freud. And it taught me a lot, a lot of things that I had not connected. Um, but yeah, all that um, studying of propaganda, you know, I'm hearing this thing about books being banned. And it's like, oh my God, look at the timing of this. Now the left is accusing um, right-wing people of banning books when the left has just been backing for two years some of the most authoritarian measures we've seen in recent history. And they've done so much censorship that we have a term now, cancel culture, not cancel event, not cancel party, (laughs) not like a cancel, I don't know, activity. It's cancel culture, an entire culture of if you don't act right, you're gone. We cancel you. You're done. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead to me. You're cabbage. You're cabbage. So to have this suddenly you know, uproar over these banned books, and when I looked at the list of banned books, Huckleberry Finn was on that. Does nobody remember when Huckleberry Finn got banned? Like, I feel like it was a long time ago, like maybe 20 <laughs> or even 30 years ago. I feel like I was young, <sighs> but it was because of the N-word. Like, S- slow you know, news day? It was n bleep, Jim. <laughs> and because of that, the book was banned. And I mean, I remember even then, you know, just thinking that was so stupid. Like, instead of erasing history, present it differently. Let's talk about that. I mean, God knows it's not like black culture in our our country is trying to get rid of the word. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I hear it more from uh, people in black culture than I do white culture now. Do you
1: realize what that is? It's another example of indulging. We're not changing our behavior. We're not talking about it. We're not getting into a deep discussion about it. We're just like banning it, but being sore about it, too.
0: Yeah. And the divisiveness, you know, I mean, the same old shit over and over. Let's just divide and conquer. So, yeah, I just found that ridiculous. And when we dug into it, most, if not all the people they say are banning the books, what they're talking about is a school board that had to pick like uh, books, which books are going to be in the curriculum and chose other books, just decided those weren't the books that they were choosing. Um, I haven't personally, I'm not saying it's not out there. I just haven't run into it yet, but a lot of those stories go back to that. I don't know if anybody's actually banning books mm-hmm. the way the left tried to do with Huckleberry Finn, well, who they're now putting on the list that the right wing's trying to ban.
1: And the, uh, the gender queer books that we talked about, I forget in what episode, but oh, yeah, it was there was the, that one. the really like Really, um, too graphic.
0: I didn't even think of that as a book. It's pornography.
1: Yeah, too graphic of a book that, you know, details, like, wearing a strap-on penis for, you know, lesbians or or whatever, gender, queer, neutral, whatever, fluid things. Um, That doesn't need to be in the school. I just don't understand, like... Maybe it's, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like children need to have that in their libraries. So I, I think that probably is one of the, the sore spots. Like, oh yeah, tit for tat. Like, you're going to ban this book? Well, we're going to bring up all the books that you banned, you hypocrites.
0: Mm-hmm. Ignoring their own hypocrisy. Amen.
1: You hear the chorus frogs and you got distracted, didn't you?
0: Well, I was distracted, but yeah, I do hear the chorus frogs. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, that Century of the Self, though, that's really interesting, and you can watch it for free on YouTube, at least uh, in February 2022.
0: Oh, I know what I was uh, trying to recall. You mentioned trans. Um, There was one really hopeful um, news item that we ran into from the trans community, and it was this uh, natal-born man who had transitioned to, um, you know, having the surgery to—
1: Feminization surgery.
0: Feminization surgery to look like a woman.
1: He said he had a sex change.
0: Yeah. I think. He got up there and he he didn't, I mean, he ex- described it like that. He said, I am biologically a man. I have had plastic surgery and drugs to, um, I forget how he worded it, Feminize but basically my feminized my body, yeah. but I am still a man. And so he was speaking up for women's rights in sports. He was saying, you know, like compared to women, I am in the top percentage of uh, height? size, height and yeah. size, whereas I'm an average man. You know, like it is just, and he really lit into the left saying, I can't believe how much the left is not supporting women's rights, that they have to turn to conservative outlets to even have a voice. Like, I mean, it was just beautiful to see this come from a trans. Sexual. A transsexual. That's yeah. That's his word. Like it was refreshing because I don't like being against entire groups of people. But when everybody within a group of of people is saying things that I just find like, batshit crazy and imposing their values on me there's so many individuals in that group that i'm not sure if i'm against the individuals or the group anymore Mm -hmm. and so i really love it when somebody steps out and they say like something like just as they say speaking truth to power and i'm like fuck yeah i'd fight beside that guy yeah like i respect him Mm -hmm. you know and um it's not about trans, it's about sanity. Yeah. It's beautiful to see this guy just take responsibility for his choices. I chose to have the surgery. I'm not regretting it. This isn't about me saying it's wrong. Um this is about me sticking up for my family members who are female who should have their own thing because they shouldn't have to compete against men.
1: Mhm. And that's not the only person who is coming out from that community to support women's rights and especially girls' rights. I don't I don't remember the names off the top of my head, but um there was a, an article that we read, uh, from Civitas. <laughs> we were just listening to that podcast the other day. And, uh, in there it talked about another person's name, uh, from the transgender or transsexual community that was, um, petitioning and like wanting their voice to be heard, which is, I thought what trans rights are wanting the voice to be heard, but you know, it depends on what their voice is saying.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's become very evident.
1: They might be the, the whatever, straight face of queer supremacy or something. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> they
0: used to say the same thing with like the black community. Like, white people need to shut up. White people need to listen. Listen. Black people are trying to speak. You listen and let them speak. Listen. Shut up, white people. Shut up. Shut up. A black person. And speaks. then the black person says, you know... I think black people, every black person, after what they've been through, is able to get a free ID just as well as any white person. Oh, shut up! You're the black face of white supremacy. Oh. <laughs> black Lives Matter. Yeah. Get out of here, Uncle Tom. Black Lives Matter. I spit all over you. Yeah, I spit all over everything. Yeah, that's okay. Hmm. All right. So, do you feel like winding up, or uh, I'm kind of running down? Yeah. We got I... a busy day. We got to like clean the van and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Well, the last thing I wanted to share is um, one thing I really like about our lifestyle that I was noticing this week is how our calendar is more and more tying into nature. Mm-hmm. And man, that feels magical. Like I shared at the beginning of the episode, the chorus frogs and the daffodils are like, spring's coming. You're about to get some really pretty days. Like you made it. Just hang on a little bit longer. And uh, more and more I'm finding signs like that. Like
1: Oh, I thought last year... You noticed like the honeysuckle. Blossoms? Oh, that's where I was going. Oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> so when we start seeing and especially smelling that perfume of honeysuckle, which always takes me back to my best childhood memories here in the south, that smell of honeysuckle on a summer evening. But uh, when we smell that, it's time to start thinking about going to the mountains. Like pretty soon we're gonna, it's gonna get too hot. The bugs are gonna get too bad. So it's sort of like more and more I find that instead of like. I don't know, having to figure things out arbitrarily, nature is becoming like more and more my guide. And that is beautiful. I'm so thankful for that. And when summer is like dragging on and I'm so like, oh my God, I can't wait till it cools off again. There's another sign I noticed a long time ago when I was a groundskeeper, I start seeing the tulip tree leaves turn yellow.
2: Hmm.
0: More, you know, like they start increasing in yellow and that's my first like autumn's coming. Just hang in there. It's about to get cool. Nice.
1: Yeah, and I was was just thinking about that intoxicating smell of the honeysuckle, and it's so hard to leave because you don't want to leave when it's just about to be really pretty. But on the other hand, especially if you time it just right, you might be able to like have the honeysuckle here in the middle of the state and the honeysuckle in the mountains, too.
0: Have we done that before, run into honeysuckle up there?
1: I'm sure it's there. We just have to know, like this year, I think we're starting from a different side of the parkway, so we might be far enough south.
0: And the longer we do this, I'm sure the more like pieces will fit together. Cause I know in the spring between the daffodils and the honeysuckle, there's a whole series of things that probably have significance. I haven't tuned into yet. Like the Johnny jump ups and the violets and the dandelions. And I mean, it's springtime. You know, the trout lilies are like coming. That's going to be one of the next signs of Mm -hmm. like spring is almost here. The
1: ephemerals.
0: Yeah. The spring ephemerals. Ephemerals. All right. So I'm going to read our listener right in. And this is Tim from Maine. And he was responding to mile marker 113. Roadkill, warm sex and spoiler. The Matrix sucks. (laughs) Let me see if I can dust off my Maine accent here. Oh, boy. Do you need to tune? And uh, <clears throat> me 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 me. That's Martha. those Martha. are those are the words for Maine. Me 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 me. Oh, I get it. I yeah. get it. Maine abbreviation. Yeah, me. So uh, this was when I had gotten kicked off of Facebook for a short time, gotten a bunch of restrictions, to just getting gotten back on. So Tim says, just giving you some traffic so Facebook knows their censorship is silly. <laughs> you must have gotten to the good part of season six alone, and Jordan's take. He was the first to make the leap to big game. Funny, before the new Matrix movie came out, Public Radio, Propaganda Network Central, had a 30-second blurb on the movie saying its real meaning was transgender agenda. Then off they went, towing the COVID thing. Great to hear about the kids' parents wanting their kids to experience regular life without masking up. And on the friction fire thing, if you get cold temps, try a (laughs) chunk of ice before the the bearing block. I'm going to say that again. Because I know it's important to Tim. He's bugging me about it. <laughs> and on the friction fire thing, if you get cold temps, try a chunk of ice for the bearing block. Keep a glove on so it doesn't drip from the heat of a bare hand. Maybe freeze a plastic soda bottle and expose the ice for the for the divot for the spindle. It gives a totally friction-free experience. I guess uh, the warm sex maybe got him thinking of friction-free experiences. <laughs> Coconut oil. Um. Uh. Yeah, so do you want to respond to any of that, Teresa? How about what he's saying about, uh, I know that we really enjoyed watching Alone and are waiting for the next season. So he's talking about uh, Jordan's take. This was before we saw Jordan in season six uh, kill that moose.
1: Yeah, spoilers there. Uh, No, I mean, there's so much that Tim has brought up, like the Matrix movie sucking. um, And what did we talk about? Gosh, It was that day that we took the walk, and we were thinking about what else would be a good handhold, because the more it melts, like, the more—was it like a shell or something? I know we saw bones.
0: Yeah, it was a bone. It was one of the cow bones.
1: Ah. But I thought we were talking about like the more you use it, the more, oh, the shinier it gets, yeah. right? So yeah. it's less friction.
0: Yeah. Depending on the edge of the bone, sometimes it'll get less friction and shiny, but if it's too rotten, which that well might've been, it'll start burning just like wood and burn in, huh. get more friction. But, uh, yeah. So Tim recommends if you do friction fired, like a bow drill, uh, trying an ice bearing block. And I bet it does work, uh, especially in Maine, you know, with the air that cold and everything, um, As I told Tim, I've got so many uh, survival projects I'm trying to get around to, and um, that's just pretty far down on my list. Not that it's not important. It's awesome, but... We uh, don't
1: generally have the ice around here. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's not that practical for us. It's kind of a novelty. I can see how it might be different in Maine. Um, So right now, this month, I'm continuing with trying to work on roadkill, which um, I have not gotten as far with as I wanted, but we did pick up a roadkill squirrel, and uh, Mm -hmm. it's really cool. We took it to the class on Thursday with the kids, and... I uh, had one of them help me skin it and then took the squirrel apart and talked about its anatomy. And quite a few of the kids wanted to put on gloves and kind of feel the guts and feel the skin and just kind of experience it, which sounds kind of ghoulish. But actually, that's the way kids organically learn. Like in tribes, hunters often bring back their kill, and the kids will come running out and play with the animal. And it teaches them. It teaches them how the animal moves, how it feels. Um, just getting to know the animal in a very direct way. So I thought that was super cool. Mm -hmm. I skinned that squirrel and right now I've got it tacked up and drying out. I'm going to, you know, get started in my little small squirrel way to tanning hides. I got a whole bucket of bones I want to start, um, practicing making tools out of, and hopefully we'll get some extra meat somewhere. And, uh, Be able to practice smoking meat and so many other things involved with roadkill. And knitting and crochet. I'm picking that up this month. So this is the month. Mm -hmm. No more screwing around. Like, I'm going to learn knitting and crochet. My goodness. I'm going to get at least as smart as the average grandma. (laughs) Good luck. here I come.
1: Thank you for writing in, Tim, as always.
0: Yeah. And is there anything else you want to say about Alone? Uh, Or anything else?
1: uh, You know, I really liked that show. I highly recommend it. And if you can get it for, like, a free trial on somewhere... Like Hulu, I think has most, if not all, the seasons. Um, do that; it's worth it, especially if it's free.
0: Mm-hmm. So, if you want to contact us with any questions, comments, criticisms, uh, love notes, uh,
2: dick pics—I
0: was—I actually thought a dick pics. I'm gonna—I'm gonna veto the dick pics. <laughs> but uh, any female nudity—we don't want to traumatize Teresa. She's oh, kind of a prude. God. Come on. And uh, face. I am we, a
1: prude, though.
0: Yeah, I know. Okay, that's why I said that. And um, we have a Facebook page found at Escaping Society, which uh, we just shower with pearls of wisdom and odd news bits and uh, mm-hmm. videos and such. Um, we have a website www.escapingsociety.weebly. B as mm-hmm. in um, blooming daffodils. Oh, there we go. com. And we have a donate button. If you are so moved and would like to give us a donation, we welcome all donations. It helps us get on down the road, um, live our hobo lifestyles. So if you feel like you've uh, benefited enough from our podcast in any way, consider giving a donation. And there's a big yellow donate button on our website. Um,
1: and and really look at the website. I mean, I know you've got a thousand things just like Gumby has on his list. I ain't got shit on my list, but, you know, making a shelter and stuff. But uh, there's, there's still a reading list of recommended books as well as
0: our Everything is grossly neglected.
1: Grossly neglected, but um, some movies uh, that used to have working links, like documentaries and whatnot. But just some things like if you're, uh, maybe you're having a cold winter day right now, you're not having the nice warm sunshine that we are, uh, read a book, watch a show. And Century of the Self was pretty good. It was was entertaining in a documentary way, which I like.
0: Oh, yeah. Each one of those parts were about an hour long. So good. If you've got some time and you just want to watch about an hour long of some video, Century of the Self, man. Mm -hmm. Um, Mind-blowing. And please give us a review, five stars, if you think we deserve it. Uh, We love a written review. And we have a YouTube channel. Again, like everything else, kind of neglected. We haven't done a video in a while. But the stuff on there um, can be helpful. And is there anything else?
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Yep. I love you, Mom.